this is Mike Dilt with the Relax Back UK show on UK Health Radio, your global real feel-good radio station. On the Relax Back UK show we explore all kinds of health topics, so keep listening and enjoy the ride. Hi, and thank you for joining me, Mike Dilk, on this week's Relax Back UK show. The topic of this week is Parkinson's disease. Now, we've spoken about this before, but mainly about treatments for the condition. This week, we look a bit more at the research that's happening to help people with the disease. And to date, we have about 80 genetic sort of risk factors that are associated with Parkinson's. And these are pointing towards specific pathways biological pathways that the researchers have been exploring so there isn't going to be a cure tomorrow but there is a lot of exciting stuff happening some really fabulous research i speak with simon stott of cure parkinson's and alex reed and he's the founder of the european parkinson therapy center so please do stay with me for a great show thank you The station that makes you feel good. It used to be hard to find the world's most wonderful alcohol-free drinks. Not anymore. Whether it's a health thing, a lifestyle thing, or you're trying new things, make sure you save yourself from the guessing game of the supermarket shelves and shop with zerozilchzip.co.uk for the world's most carefully curated range of alcohol-free beers, wines, spirits and more. Health Radio listeners can save 5% with the code HEALTH5. Visit zerozilchzip.co.uk or click our banner on the UK Health Radio website. Discover alcohol freedom with Zero Zilch Zip. Because nothing's better. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. So my guests are Alex Reed, founder of the European Parkinson Therapy Centre in Italy, and Simon Stott of Cure Parkinson's. Right, Alex is in Italy, and it was rather hot when we were chatting. There's also a fair bit of Italian spoken in the background at the start, but do bear with it, because this really is a fabulous chat. Uh, just north of Brescia, on one of the great lakes of Italy. Okay. Beautiful uh, area. Sounds delightful. Just before we start. Milan. You said it was 35 degrees there. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, um, I haven't done the air conditioning on, but it costs too much. Because someone's added a war on somewhere. I don't know. Yes, yes. Well, electricity is quite expensive just now. Uh, moving on, uh, Simon, Simon Stott of Cure Parkinson. Simon, tell us uh, what Cure Parkinson's is all about and uh, what you do for them. Uh, so the trust, it's a research charity trust, and it was set up in 2005 with the explicit goal of finding curative uh, treatments for Parkinson's. There were four gentlemen, um, four founders who all had Parkinson's, and they didn't want better care. They were upset by the lack of research focused on cure. And so they set up the trust, and for the last um, two decades, they have uh, we have been... Uh, focused on funding research, um, looking at 
disease modification in Parkinson's, so curative treatments for the condition. Um, my background, uh, my position in the organization is Deputy Director of Research. My background is in academic and biotech research for Parkinson's, I've been in the field for about 20 years. And um, I've been with the organization now for three and a half years, and um, I'm really enjoying it. Good, good. All right, so I, probably a good place to start, although it's 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 not the main uh, drive of the chat. For people that didn't didn't hear the show last time, a short basic summary on what actually Parkinson's is, what the disease is, and that's probably uh, addressed to Simon. Oh, Parkinson's is a um, neurodegenerative condition. That means that you're losing cells in the brain, um, and it is focused. It's characterized primarily by a set of uh, motor features. This is slowness of movement, rigidity of movement, and arresting tremor. These are sort of the classical symptoms of Parkinson's. But in addition to that, there's a whole host of non-motor um, symptoms or features. Um, such as loss of smell, um, sleep disruption, and there can also be um, issues with gut. And sometimes, in some cases, there can be mood and cognitive problems as well. So it is a um, very, what we call a very, very variable condition between each individual. You meet one person with Parkinson's and you've met one person with Parkinson's. It's not a, a no, nobody is sort of an average or a classical Right. case of the condition all right so it has lots of different lots of different forms okay yes. and is is anything known about why people get it so are, are people just kind of unlucky in life or is it genetic or environmental or has any work been done i'm sure work's been done on it but have there been any conclusions um i think it's fair to say that there is an, a young onset version of the condition and um this is people that are diagnosed with it under the age of 40 or 50 years of age this occurs in about one in every 20 cases and if you're diagnosed under the age of 40 50 years of age it's what you we um, consider young onset parkinson's and so um this is about one in every 20 cases of parkinson's and in these cases there is typically a genetic um risk factor involved uh something in our dna that makes us vulnerable to developing parkinson's and the science around this is not um a very it's not clear and accurate because there are a lot of people in general society that carry some of these risk variants and they never go on to develop Parkinson's. So uh, exactly why one individual who carries one of these genetic risk factors develops Parkinson's and another doesn't is a bit of a mystery at the moment. Right. Now there could be environmental factors involved. So there's a lot of um, associations with specific environmental factors such as pesticides is always a good one. People um, have associated pesticides, exposure to pesticides with risk of developing Parkinson's. So there, uh, it's a combination of um, genetics and environment, but it's also the main correlate, the main association is age. The vast majority of people who develop Parkinson's are reaching uh, the sixth and seventh decades of their lives. Um, and the body is um, going through the natural process of aging. And it could be that some exposure to something environmental as a younger individual has made them potentially more vulnerable to developing Parkinson's. We're not sure. 
Uh, we the one question that's always asked is if everybody lived to 200, would everybody develop Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and these conditions of age? Uh, that the answer to that question hasn't obviously been addressed yet, but uh, yet. Uh, you mean, you mean we might all be living to 200 soon? I'm not sure that's a great plan. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Sorry, I was being a bit facetious there. So, but as, as a sort of an uneducated person person in this sphere, my my thought is, I don't know where I've got this from, I, I just, I suppose, from just reading newspapers and what have you, is that the basic problem is a, a lack of a chemical in the brain that helps with the way... Uh, messages are fired through the brain and that's a lack of something called um dopamine is 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 that um from a layman's point of view is that more or less right so there is a chemical in your brain called dopamine and it plays a key role in the movement our, our, our ability to move and if we think about movement from the standpoint of um i want to move my right arm uh, to towards a piano to start playing the piano the that that decision starts right up in the top of your brain in, in an area called the cortex and it's a whole bunch of neurons firing and they've all got their own idea as to what should happen next and they send their signal down into the deep part of the brain called um, the basal ganglia and this is an area that's really inhibitory so it, 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 it there's all this sort of positive signal coming down and you think you can think of the cortex as kind of the children in the classroom out of control and all yelling and screaming and the basal ganglia being the strict headmistress and um, the disciplinarian and the, the basal ganglia will inhibit any signal coming through uh, to the point of where you won't be able to move your arm. But then you add dopamine to the mix and dopamine is a chemical that sort of just modulates this situation it's kind of the oil in the machine if you like uh, for an analogy and it helps to um, sort out the signal coming down from the cortex and going to the arm to move the muscles etc and in parkinson's what we have is um, less and less of this dopamine being produced the cells that produce dopamine and send it to the basal ganglia they are dying off. By the time you're diagnosed with Parkinson's, you've lost half, if not 80% of your dopamine neurons. And in those cases, you can see that this, the, the motor symptoms of the condition start to show themselves because people become more inhibited in their ability to move. Um, in the absence of any medication, people with Parkinson's will want to move. So the cells in the cortex are sending signals saying, let's move. But the basal ganglia is without the dopamine is so inhibited that the signal is not getting through to the arms and legs and they're unable to move that on and it's sort of a layman's terms is, is sort of a nutshell yeah but it's not it one, one important piece i'd add here is that it's not just dopamine so there's uh, lots of different areas of the brain that are vulnerable to parkinson's um, and they inv they're involved in other aspects of our ability to to function um, and it's only sort of the motor features that are so apparent um, and they, they sort of stand out. And that's why the focus is sort of on dopamine um, as the that sort of this primary key right. factor in Parkinson's. But there well, are other areas in, uh, that are vulnerable in the condition. Okay. So from I'm glad you said that because from your initial 
description of you know kind of what the problem is there's me my layman mind thinking this sounds pretty simple really there's a lack of a, a chemical called dopamine um let's make a bit of that somehow get that into the brain and uh, jobs are good and so uh, obviously this is <laughs> you you kind of describe no. a very complex problem very very simply or or you know what what's going on what makes it so much more complex than uh, sort of you described because it's you know it obviously more than it's just a lack of dopamine Alex were you going to say something there I was just going to say that I'm not quite as old as 60 or 65 and I am a young on an onset obviously um, I fully back everything Simon says it's not just dopamine it affects many parts of the brain we have people here at the center who have serious problems, psychological problems, who have serious walking problems, who have serious problems with their balance. In many ways, Parkinson's can be a very nasty condition. It can evolve in a less aggressive way. I have Parkinson for 16 years and I still can walk and talk and chew gum at the same time. So that's pretty impressive. It is, it depends on each person. But the dopamine factor is the thing that links most people with Parkinson's because you can have various forms of Parkinson's. The Oxford Parkinson's Disease Center identified, I think, over 50 forms of Parkinson's. But the main thing that links us is the lack of dopamine. And that what is, that's why we take the dopa, it gets transformed into dopamine. But if you take your dopa too late, you don't get your dopamine to your brain at the right time and you go off. And the word going off means you don't have any medicine in your body, any dopamine in your body, and you have difficulty in moving for about 30 minutes or an hour. That can be a bit unpleasant. So you, you, you literally seize completely, do you, and, and can't move? No, it's not quite as bad as that, particularly in my case, because there, it gets more complicated. There are systems called DBS, deep brain stimulation, which is where they stick electrodes in your brain and make you Frankenstein. And that can help when you go off because, again, it can act and help movement. Um, there are dopamine agonists which can kick in there's one in america called imbresia which has been approved here in europe which you can inhale and in five minutes it will kick in and get you back in motion again within five minutes wonderful medicine not available in europe yes um, before you were discussing that there were some uh, medicines in the states that were harder to in terms of the uh, research on Parkinson's, I think that is fascinating because it's it's going in so many different directions. There's so many things happening. Right. It's very exciting. Let's concentrate on that a little bit. So we've, we've sort of got, had a summary of uh, what it is and what, what the problem is. Um, so uh, from either of you, but possibly Simon... Uh, who's more of the, the research guy. What, what are the areas of research uh, focusing on at the minute? Well, it's kind of a staggering from my standpoint exactly on exactly how many areas there are that, we're, that researchers are focusing on because we've got everything from manipulating the bacteria in your gut to spinal cord stimulation, for example, 
And we're taking old methods of treating the condition like deep brain stimulation and giving new twists on that, where um, one of the exciting areas of research in Parkinson's is adaptive deep brain stimulation. But there are yeah. electrodes being placed into the brain, into this area that I'm saying is very inhibited. And using stimulation from those electrodes, they can um, reduce that level of inhibition. But uh, the old version, it was always a case of the same amount of stimulation. So tick, 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 always the same stimulation all the time. That's what new technology is coming through now called adaptive DBS. That is um, monitoring the activity in the brain and adapting the stimulation to um, the needs of that uh, brain, that particular right. individual's brain. Um, and that's giving people even more personalized treatment. So that's that's a really exciting area of um, research. But so is that, sorry, that's like a, a feedback loop, is it? Yes, so, absolutely. So the, 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 the electrodes in the brain figure out to some extent what's going on and then decide how much, um, well, how much what? The difference in frequencies or change in the... The, the level of stimulation that's required to... Um, and it's, it's, it's not simply the feedback in the brain, but they're also looking at the feedback in terms of body movement. So the, the local environment in the, in the brain might say this is what's required, but there's also research looking at whether that translates into um, actual physical movement as well. Okay. So it's a, it's, a, it's a delicate balancing act, but it's remarkable that we're at this stage, that we are putting electrodes in, altering the firing of the cells in the brain and adapting that stimulation to what's actually required on a personalized level. That, that's yes. really, really amazing technology to me. Let me, can I ask a specific question about that? How, how does this device measure the motion of the individual? Well, no, well, that's another component of the research that's being looked at. Um, right. So at the moment, it, the, the, the kit itself is kind of just focused on what's going on in the local environment in the brain. All right. So that's, so that's something that's coming down the pipe. Go ahead, Alex. You, you Mike, got it's, quite, it's quite often said in Parkinson's, and we know it works. We don't know why it works, but we know it works. So we're kind of undoing it. DBS is not exactly clear why it works so perfect so well. Some people and other people it doesn't work. Um, I had DBS and I had the most advanced system put in at the time, which was directional DBS, Boston. I don't have adaptive DBS and it doesn't really work very well. But the interesting thing which Simon was touching on is that and he, he actually said to me that 80% of more research in Parkinson has been done in the last 20 years. That's unbelievable. Parkinson's has been around for 208 years. So it sounds like the scientists are only just beginning to wake up to the fact that we around um, but they are there have been some amazing breakthroughs and i think that's michael j fox going back to basics looking at the genome sequences and looking also at other areas to look at like the gut brain axis that is a fascinating part of parkinson's no, yeah, some let, don't let's, know. let's concentrate on that for a bit. What what's the what's the state of play with our knowledge? Um, what people know about the the gut and how that affects Parkinson's. Uh, well, it's a universe in itself. The gut. You've got twenty eight feet of plumbing, and all the way down <laughs> that plumbing, you've got different colonies of bacteria, and they 
each individually um, help us function on a daily basis. Um, a lot of our um, vitamins come from the guts, uh, bacteria. We can't we can't produce them ourselves. So these these uh, passengers that we carry around with us are, um, are rewarding us or paying us their dues by giving us what we require. And when people look at um, the gut bacteria, this is the area of science where they collect stool um, from participants in the studies. Um, so people with Parkinson's and people without Parkinson's, and they analyze that, um, that fecal matter. Um, they have found that there are differences between people, the, the, between the gut makeup, um, the, the bacterial makeup of the gut in people with Parkinson's versus people without. And this is pointing towards certain types of bacteria that could potentially be uh, have therapeutic benefits um, if we can uh, better understand their role uh, in our general function and in the context of Parkinson's. Do you have any results coming out fairly soon on cure Parkinson's side on this type of research? No, but we have explored the gut bacteria as a possible delivery system for drugs or for molecules that could be neuroprotective. And um, one of the issues there is that you need to, the scientists have taken neutral bacteria and they um, engineer them, they genetically program them to produce something that is beneficial for our body. And then they put it in a pill form so that you pop the pill in your mouth, the, the pill breaks down in your, gut, in your stomach, and then the, the bacteria start to grow and they start to produce this beneficial factor. And they pass through this 28 feet of plumbing and um, then gradually they will be disposed of after two or three days. So each day you take a pill and this process continues. The bacteria grow and produce this beneficial um, what is the study that's coming out in June from Cure Parkinson's? I know you mentioned there's a study coming out in June on, isn't there, stage two? Um, we have results coming out in the middle of the year from a study called the UP study, which has um, been looking at a um, drug called UDCA. Um, UDCA, or sodioxycholic acid, is used in clinical in clinical settings for the breaking down of gallstones and also for liver disease. So it's a widely used um, medication, um, but it is um, by background it is a bile acid that the body produces. And um, what researchers in Sheffield University here in the UK have um, found previously in some preclinical research was that UDCA has beneficial effects in um, cellular protective functions. And they tested this um, in models of Parkinson's and they found that they, um, they could rescue these models. And this led to the UP study or UDCA and Parkinson's study, which is 30 people were treated with very high doses of UDCA and um, they were followed over a period of time, and um, the results of that study are going to be coming up um, middle of this year. And it's quite remarkable that we've even got to that point because the study was conducted during the COVID-19 um, pandemic. It's one of these heroic stories where the participants and the researchers were going to great lengths to make sure that the study could be completed. 
Um, yeah, it kind of it it, 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 it it one day one day when they write the medical history of Parkinson's, the the the, the studies that were going on during the pandemic should get special mention, I think. But um, that the UDCA study will be uh, reporting results very shortly. Okay, so may, maybe we'll have to come back uh, in a couple of months' time to to find yes, the rest happily. of the, the story on that. So, happily. but 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 currently, that that kind of work is at basic research level. With you know, no no sort of drugs are in the pipeline um, specifically in the pipeline. There's this one study, um, but it's still kind of pretty much basic research. Is that is that correct? That's a phase two study. So that's involving thirty people. The next step. Um, if there's a positive signals from it, it would be a much larger phase three study. But there's also a biotech company that's taken a similar approach called um, Amelix. They have taken a molecule very similar to UDCA and they've combined it with another um, molecule that has um, beneficial effects in Parkinson's, in models of Parkinson's, excuse me. And they are looking at testing their drug in Parkinson's as well. So they, they are very keen to see the UDCA results to see if there's a signal there that they should shift into this area. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not simply at the preclinical level, at the basic, bio, basic biology level. A lot, of, a lot of this stuff is being tested in um, clinical trials now. And just to go back to what we were talking about before um, with regards to the 200 years and it's in the last 20 years that 80% of the research has been done. So that is true. Um, up until sort of the year 2000, you had uh, a whole lot of research um, being done around L-DOPA and a few other medications. And they were looking at sort of the structure and the biology of Parkinson's brains. But um, it was in the year um, 1997 that we got our first sort of um, indication that there could be a genetic risk factor for Parkinson's. This gen first genetic risk factor gave us the first indication of the potential biology underlying um, the, how the progression, how the um, condition develops and progresses over time, and that um, risk factor was in was associated with a protein called alpha synuclein. It sounds like a distant galaxy, but it's, it does. It makes yeah. up about one one percent of everything that's up in our up in our brains. It's a very common protein in, in our heads. And then uh, a year, two years later, we had a second genetic risk factor uh, in a different, associated with a different protein called Parkin. And then there were other ones popping up. There was LARC2. There were all these proteins starting to pop up. And to date, we have about 80 genetic sort of risk factors that are associated with Parkinson's. And these are pointing towards specific pathways, biological pathways that the researchers have been exploring. So, so in the first decade of this uh, century, a lot of effort was put into uh, their better understanding what these biological pathways were doing. And then in this, during the second decade, they focused on actual drugs to modulate these pathways. And now we've reached the point of where those drugs have been determined to be safe enough to test in humans. And so we're at this very exciting period in Parkinson's research from a scientist standpoint, it's very exciting, um, where we are going to be testing, we are testing currently drugs that uh, could potentially uh, modulate or um, stop or slow down the progression of the condition. It could actually uh, modify the disease itself. 
Uh, and that's a that's a really exciting time. That's this, kind of this, this, putting... this is very good news for sufferers. Um, although realistically, you know, the, the, the way things take, it's 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 a way off yet before any of these come to any real conclusion. It, that was more of a question than a statement, really. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's uh, true. The, the, the last thing anyone in the Parkinson's community wants to hear is that it's another five years, it's another five years, it's another five years. But um, we have a lot of clinical activity now in areas of um, Parkinson's research that are focused around some of these ideas, such as LARC2 inhibition. LARC2 is a protein that's associated with Parkinson's via one of these genetic risk factors. And it results in a very hyperactive form of the protein inside the cells, a sort of bull in a china shop situation. And in the delicate environment of a cell, you don't want a bull or a hyperactive um, form of LARC2. And so scientists have engineered drugs that inhibit this hyperactivity. And those drugs are now being tested in the clinic. And there's at least a dozen companies pharmaceutical and biotech companies that are bringing drugs through to the clinic at the moment, uh, focused on LARC2 inhibition. And that's right. just one small area of the research that's being done. There's other, there's another class of drugs called G-case activators, and that's trying to raise the level of a particular enzyme that's been associated with Parkinson's. And there's at least, as I say, a dozen companies bringing through um, drugs that are focused. So there's a lot of activity focused around small molecule drug development, centering on these genetic re, genetic risk factor associated biological pathways. And so what's, our, the dri- what's the driving force behind these? Is this coming from sort of pharmaceutical companies or, or, or is this kind of university uh, blue sky research? Or it, it sounds like it's uh, research aimed at making drugs to help. Yeah, so a lot of the research has been done in the universities of the academic environment and the, the drug companies come along and say, this is really interesting. We would like to buy that intellectual property from you and develop it into a drug. Uh, and money is the main motivating factor, I think. But another motivating factor, societal factor, is that we have an aging population. We are going to be seeing a doubling of the numbers of um, people with Parkinson's over the next 20 years. Uh, it is Parkinson's is the fastest growing uh, neurodegenerative condition, and we have to do something to slow it down. Otherwise, it's going to be a massive burden for society. There's going to be a huge cost involved. Sure. And I've, and I think a lot of these pharmaceutical companies um, know acknowledge that. And every few years, you have the pharmaceutical company saying, "Okay, we're quitting neuroscience because we don't understand the brain," but it's that general demographic trend that keeps bringing them back they can see that there's just going to be this massive problem going forward and that it has to be dealt with and that there yeah. is a market there for them okay no. sorry alex michael j fox famously said when he set up the foundation I, our aim is to cure parkinson's within 10 years which was very ambitious that was 26 years ago and i think it was after 10 or 12 years that Michael J. Fox's foundation and pretty much everyone decided they have to understand bargains and get back to basics and break it down into its various components. And before we can move forward into great leaps and bounds on getting disease-modifying drugs or cures or whatever you might want to call them. 
So I think there was a reality check about 15 years ago, and that reality check has produced a number of different directions in which um, helping people with Parkinson's is taking, One, some of which are non-drug related, I should add that. Yeah. I mean, the dietary side and the aspect of exercise have been hugely researched and have proved huge, hugely beneficial in Parkinson's. I would actually, I would actually argue that they, they, they haven't been hugely um, funded or supported. They, they, they need a lot more funding and support because the small molecule drug um, development is, is really exciting, but there's nothing applicable there for people with Parkinson's. They're constantly told it's five years away, it's five years away, it's five years away. Whereas if with, with diet and exercise research, they can do something immediately for themselves. Um, we're always told that exercise is good for Parkinson's, so do exercise. And the first question a person with Parkinson's says is, well, what sort of exercise should I do? And these sorts of personalizing it to individuals' needs is, um, is still largely unaddressed in the, um, in the research. So uh, while there's a lot of research going on in terms of diet and uh, exercise, I think there needs to be a lot more. Okay, let's just go back to some of the research, if I may. Um, at the start, you mentioned um, research on the gut and how the microbes in the gut might affect it. You also said, oh, yeah, and there's research happening with as far as the spinal cord is concerned. Can you um, tell us a bit more about that? So spinal cord stimulation is focused around the idea of helping people with gait issues. So people who have trouble moving, moving their, their lower um, their legs and actually um, initiating the, the, the stepping. Okay, <laughs> just, just, just as you were saying that, Alex turned around and uh, showed us his uh, lower back. Um, nothing too pornographic, I'll just say for our, our listeners. It, it sounds like you've got something to add to this, Alex. You, you, you know they something have, about this. They've, they've actually just taken out the um, Boston Stamwoods um, uh, spinal cord stimulator. It wasn't working, just like the DBS wasn't working. It works with 80%. It not, it's the same thing with many things in Parkinson's. Not everything works with everyone. And it's very personalized, and uh, the spinal cord stimulator wasn't working, so they took it out. And so, what, what is, I is got that there. a bit like the deep brain stimulation in that you have electrodes going into your spine and they, they fire up in the when they're needed? Yeah, the spinal cord stimulation is, is exactly that. Okay, well, Simon would know more, but that's what they did to me, they fired electricity down me. So is, is this old technology or is, is no, new no, stuff no. happening here? It's, it's getting quite advanced. Yeah, it's, it's, more, it's, it's more, um, it's been around for a while. It's previously been used for pain um, management. But um, gradually over the years, what folks, have, what researchers have found is that if you modulate, if you stimulate the spinal cord in a particular way, it helps, it eases, it eases um, people's abilities to actually initiate that, uh, that movement. And um, it's, this is just one of the many, many, many areas of research that have been conducted uh, in, in and around Parkinson's. Okay, so yeah, if, if I could just add, Mike, there are so many areas of research on Parkinson's, it's unbelievable. I, I, I just have take my hat off to Cure Parkinson, Fox Foundation. There are following many 
roads, which hopefully would, would one of them will lead to the um, the promised land. But I think that will be in the next 50 years. I will not give five-year timetables, but it's not going to be immediate for sure, Simon. Um, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit more optimistic than than Alex. I think um, you go for 30 years, would you? <laughs> No, I think I think sooner than that, it's it's depend, depends because we're not talking about one particular condition called Parkinson's. We're talking about a lot of different conditions that are sort of put in the same basket. And there's massive resources being applied to the research at the moment. For example, there's an organization called ASAP, which is called um, broken down as aligning science with Parkinson's. And it was started a couple of years ago. Um, by a billionaire whose family is affected by Parkinson's and they have significant resources that they can, they can put towards this condition. And they pump in 130 million a year to Parkinson's research. And that is equivalent to how much the US government spent on Parkinson's research in 2016, the entire US, um, the, country, the country of the United States of America. Yeah. So it's a, that, that is almost a doubling of the research spending being spent on Parkinson's. But the important thing there is that they are focused very much on the basic biology of Parkinson's. So they're going back to basics and saying, are we sure about all of these things? And um, that's also giving rise to new areas of um, research. So it's, it's sort of double checking what we know, but it's also adding to uh, our knowledge base as well. On top of that, you've got groups like um, Michael J. Fox Foundation, and they are doing the PPMI study or the Parkinson's Progression Marker Initiative project. And that's looking at large groups of people with Parkinson's and collecting all this information, every single detail of their lives, how many kids they've got, how many times they've been married, um, then all the aspects of Parkinson's, what sort of diet they're eating, all these sorts of bits and pieces. And they're also looking at blood and urine and DNA and all sorts of stuff. And they're building up this massive database that's used, that uh, researchers can then analyze. So that's uh, adding to this pool of um, knowledge as well. And then you've got things like the International Link Clinical Trials Program, which is what Cure Parkinson's runs. And that is taking drugs, some uh, repurposed molecules, that, um, and then applying them in clinical trials to um, um, really sort of drive forward these efforts at disease modification at the clinical level. So we've got literally all of our bases covered. If you've got three or four bases in baseball, base one is basic biology, base two is understanding the Parkinson's community, and base three is actually pushing those um, disease modifying, potentially disease modifying therapies into the clinic. Uh, I think there's a lot of research going on and, um, yeah, significant resources being applied. Based, based on that, it, it makes my, one of my uh, questions that I was, I was thinking of you uh, a bit unfair, really. Um, but <laughs> I think I might ask it anyway. Please. Do you have a gut feel for what area might feel most promising just now? <laughs> well, I think gut research has still got a long way to go. Um, but a lot of the, what, the thing that excites me as a researcher is a lot of the research, the clinical research going on at the moment in terms of these biological pathways that were identified in the genetics research. Right. And you're working, and so, th these are the 80 different 
uh, chemicals or proteins? Pathways, yeah. yeah pathways, yeah. right. Well, there's 80 yeah. different risk factors and they're associated with particular biological pathways. And the drugs that have been developed and modulate or regulate those pathways, that's a really exciting area for Parkinson's research. And the next, and, and the trials are ongoing at the moment. In the next uh, five to 10 years, we are gonna understand whether these pathways are relevant or not to Parkinson's. And if they are, if there's a possibility of slowing down the condition. All right, no, that, uh, that, that, that sounds very important. Well, yeah, it will be yeah. a major, major breakthrough because there's never been any medicine or drug that has slowed down or cured or improved the condition of Parkinson's. So that would be wonderful news. Yeah. So it's never a good time. It's never a good time to have Parkinson's, but right now is probably the most exciting time for Parkinson's research. There's never for been research, a time. There's never been a time like this. For research, I'm not sure about having Parkinson's. I'm not. No, yeah, there's never a good. It. There's never a good time to have Parkinson's. <laughs> So, so Simon, it sounds like you might say if, if there's anyone who is about to start a career in medical research and they're thinking, what area should I go into? It sounds like, Simon, you might be waving over here. There's a load of fantastic stuff about to happen in Parkinson's. Bring your brains and your medical knowledge this direction. Indeed. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. It's a very, very exciting time as a scientist. Um, we're, we're, we're living in a golden age. We've got all this genetic biological research going on that's kind of opened up new doors. And now it's leading through to clinical trials that are going to be addressing theories based around these questions um, stemming from that research. Fantastic. Uh, if, if, if other people are listening that are not uh, medical researchers or about to become medical researchers, but have um, big fat wallets, or maybe not even big fat wallets, but some money that they would like to give to the, the cause of research into Parkinson's, um, what, would you, what would you suggest they do, Simon? Uh, there, are, there are multiple um, um, charitable research groups involved with uh, Parkinson's. There's Cure Parkinson's, of course. There's also um, Parkinson's UK in the UK. Um, in the US, you've got Michael J. Fox, and you've got the um, Parkinson's Foundation. Um, in Europe, there's um, different groups as well. So there's lots of um, possibility. It, it, it's getting to the point now of where you need to decide what you want to um, sort of focus on in terms of your spending. Uh, if you want to focus on disease-modifying therapies, a group like Parkin uh, Cure Parkinson's is great because that's all we do. We focus on disease modification. Um, if you are sort of funny about pharmacological approaches and you're thinking, I really sort of want to focus on um, the um, exercise as an approach. There's a group in America called the uh, Brian Grant Found Foundation. And Brian Grant is a basketball player, an NBA basketball star who developed young onset Parkinson's. And he likes to take sort of a more natural exercise and diet um, based approach. So that could be an area of interest for you. Uh, this, there is lots, it's, it's sort of your personal um, choice and wants and needs um, but yeah it's a really really exciting time for Parkinson's okay. research. Very good all right so lo lots going on there let's just go back to to Alex um, when we spoke last time you said something which had a, 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 a really quite an effect on me you said how people come to your place they might come in a wheelchair or a, a kind of an electric little uh, buggy or something 
and quite often they end up leaving them there uh, as, right. as a result of, of some some of the um, well some of some of the exercises some of the things you get them to do at the, at the center at, at uh, the European Parkinson therapy center so it, right. is that is that still is that still happening and uh, what this is probably it's not something you can summarize quickly but it's more it's based on the exercise and the movement and getting people moving. It's more than that. Um, movement has been long associated with improvements in Parkinson's and as being a way of maintaining your active ability to be active with Parkinson's. But movement is like medicine. It must be taken every day and it should be taken in the right quantity and in the right way. So just going for a run for five hours on Sunday and doing nothing else the rest of the week will we'll, we'll not cut it. So all we're, all we're doing here at the European Parkinson's Service Centre is teaching people how to live with Parkinson's, teaching them how to exercise, what to exercise. Because one of the fundamental things we've learned about exercise through people like Becky Farley and... Um, many others um, in Australia and also in UK is that movement is something which can really um, have an effect very quickly, but you need to involve your brain with your movement. It's no use just moving. You need to think when you move because our problem is not our, not our legs or our arms. It's our brain. So if we want to get our movement back, there's something called neuroplasticity, which is a long word, which I don't understand, so I'm not going to try and explain it, um, which we can activate, which allows us to teach people to walk again. It's rather like taking a baby and showing them how they should walk. Remember, we used about 10% of our brain. So we've got 90% of our brain still to use. And a little bit of space which we can perhaps use to help re-educate them. And we do have a lot of people who leave here. Well, we have 100% of people who leave here very satisfied. And some people with some re remarkable results. Right. And the, that is also because they start believing in themselves. That's another part Parkinson's. Parkinson's is very psychological. You can be easily convince yourself that you're ill and um, life is not worth living and that's the end. The, the point being that you, true. You, do, you, you do have a lot of success. Si Simon has spoken to us about the research that's, that's, uh, that's happening. There's a lot of positives there and right possibly for the future, a little way in the future, but right now, right now, uh, sort of at this moment uh, you're helping an, an, an awful lot of people at the uh, European uh, Parkinson um, therapy center um, yeah to really get on with their lives uh, never mind sort of the research that's going to be happening in five ten years times you can give them some help we don't right talk there. about drugs we don't even yeah. mention drugs here exactly one so, because we don't we don't understand a word that Simon's saying half the time because he speaks <laughs> in scientific language and secondly because um, we, we know what works and we know what we can make work in a short period of time. That's so, diet, 
drugs, no, sorry, diet, um, movement, psychological motivation. Yeah. And, and education. We, we have, we've, we visited that in a, a, a past, um, past show, a past but, chat. So, and I'll, I'll refer to that uh, in, in my blog and other various places. But right now, uh, Alex, can you give, if people uh, want to find out a bit more what you get up to, um, can you give your website or a good resource for them? www.parkinsontherapy.com Excellent. So, and Mike, can I just add that I've spoken with a lot of people uh, in the Parkinson's community who have uh, been along to the centre and, and attended, and I've never, ever, ever heard a negative comment. If anything, it's always, always, always been five stars. It is set in the most beautiful location. They've got fantastic food. They're lovely people. And um, everybody who comes away feels better. So uh, I think I think I'm giving him a... A big a, thumbs thank up. Thank you. No, but I, I'm serious. I've never, I've never heard anything negative. It's always been extremely positive. And as I understand it, there is a massive waiting list to... Um, there is. Yeah, right. so... To get your name on the waiting list. Simon, he speaks very highly of you, by the way, as well. Oh, <laughs> thank you. But not when you're not not when you're present. Of course not. <laughs> the, no. check, the, the, the checks in the mail. Yeah, <laughs> Gen gentlemen, thank you very much indeed for taking the time uh, to chat. Uh, very important, very useful. Uh, so many thanks for your time. Welcome. It's our been our pleasure. So many thanks to my guests on this week's show and they were Simon Stott of Cure Parkinson's and Alex Reed, founder of the European Parkinson Therapy Centre. And of course, thank you to you for listening. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. It used to be hard to find the world's most wonderful alcohol-free drinks. Not anymore. Whether it's a health thing, a lifestyle thing, or you're trying new things, make sure you save yourself from the guessing game of the supermarket shelves and shop with zerozilchzip.co.uk for the world's most carefully curated range of alcohol-free beers, wines, spirits, and more. Health Radio listeners can save 5% with the code HEALTH5. Visit zerozilchzip.co.uk or click our banner on the UK Health Radio website. Discover alcohol freedom with zero zilch zip. Because nothing's better. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. That was the Relax Back UK show with me, Mike Dill. Thank you for listening and please do join us again next time.